Okay, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Mark's Gospel. Mark chapter 14, and beginning with verse 26. We had just uh, read of the institution of the Lord's Supper, and then we pick up in verse 26 where it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And you may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you today, you know, you know our frame. Lord, you know our weaknesses. You know how we oftentimes think more highly of ourselves than and yet, Lord, how we struggle. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would speak your word to us. Lord, that you would uh, humble the proud. Lord, that you would strengthen those who are wrestling. God, that you would convert those who are dead in their sins, that they might have new life in Christ. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we come to our text today, uh, I must confess that oftentimes when after I have studied a text, that I will uh, look at other preachers' sermons or thoughts or ideas. That might be in the form of a commentary. It might be looking at, you know, different sermons or whatever. And one of the things that struck me as I did that after I did my study was how many preachers did not preach on this text. <laughs> they either lumped it together with what came before it in the institution of the Lord's Supper or they... Uh, paired it together with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which, you know, it always makes me a little nervous when it's men that I highly respect and I do something different than they do. But, you know, as you look at this text, there is much for us to consider today. And so I come not apologizing at all for, for preaching this text, but uh, I want us to know as we, as we look at this scripture passage that we see more of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Namely, what it means to have our faith tested. You see, like the disciples, there are days when the testing of our faith, brothers and sisters, will be severe. And sometimes the testing of our faith will be continual. It won't be just a quick, easy, simple temptation or hard circumstances in our lives. It may be something that goes on and on and on. And so we oftentimes struggle. So it's important this morning that we look at this text. And I want us to see three things as we look at this text. First of all, the prediction of Jesus that he makes about his disciples that they will fall away. Second of all, the prideful response that is given on the part of the disciples, and particularly from Peter himself. And then thirdly, the promise of comfort that we see in this text. And so let's look at this this morning and may our hearts be encouraged in the Lord. 
First of all, the prediction of Jesus. Look at verses 27 and, and 30, but really beginning with verse 27. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. Now, now just think about this. They had just had the Lord's Supper with him, and, and Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And now he is saying to all of his disciples, you will all fall away. Now, the phrase fall away doesn't mean that they will lose their salvation, that they will lose their faith in Jesus, but that they're, instead that their courage in following him during the uh, upcoming intense events that are about to happen would fail. That they would forsake him, that they would stumble in their faith, that their faith would not be strong enough to handle the circumstances that were, were coming in one sense. You see, Jesus knew that when the disciples witnessed his humiliations and his suffering, that it would be, in one sense, if I could say, too much for their faith, and it would lead them to doubt that he was the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened after Jesus died. Do you remember in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 24, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and then Jesus shows up, and he's walking with them. Of course, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. They just thought it was some stranger, and so they were talking to him. And this is what they said to Jesus. They said, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. You see, these disciples had lost hope because of what they had experienced, because of what they had seen, and, and that it did not match up with their expectations. And so Jesus here predicts how the disciples' faith would be challenged. And he actually quotes from Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7 at the end of verse uh, 27 here in Mark's gospel. Let me just read all of verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now, Jesus applies this prophecy to himself as the good shepherd, as he's described in John chapter 10. And, and in quoting this prophecy, Jesus is saying that the Father will strike him. Now, now we know that the Father uh, allowed human beings to accomplish his will in putting Jesus to death. God didn't tempt the religious leaders to sin. We know from what Scripture says that God does not tempt us to sin. He may test our faith, but he does not tempt us to sin. But God did make their sin uh, serve his design and thus he brought good out of evil so when the shepherd jesus was struck down by god on the cross the sheep or the disciples would forsake him physically and emotionally they they refused to identify with him because they feared the retaliation of the jewish religious leaders and so this prediction by Jesus came true. The disciples did forsake Jesus during his trials and crucifixion. And when Jesus is arrested, as if you look down in verses 43 and following here in Mark 14, uh, you'll see that this prophecy was fulfilled. As a matter of fact, look at verse 50. It says, And they all left him and fled. Now, brothers and sisters, there will be times when our faith is tested to the point where we feel hopeless about the future. Where we are tempted, maybe at best, to doubt God, and at worst, to walk away from Him. If we're His, we never will. 
but we might feel tempted to do so. We must never forget that those whom God intends to use, that He will try and He will test their faith. I had a preacher tell me one time, and this is so helpful for me. He says, those that God intends to use greatly, He has to first wound deeply. He has to humble us. He has to bring us low. And it's, it's like the refiner's fire. Kids, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you know anything that's made out of silver, that silver, before it makes what that product is made, whatever it is, uh, you know, it might be earrings or some kind of jewelry or something, uh, but before it is made, that silver is liquid because they heat it up. And the reason they heat that silver up is because there's impurities in that silver. Did you know that, kids? There's this gunk, this nasty stuff. It's what they call a dross. Okay, and as they heat it, that dross comes to the top, and then they, they can just sort of skim it off. And so what they're left with is just pure silver rather than all the junk that is in there. And it's, it's like that with God. He will come to sort of sweep away the dross, to make us aware of our native sinfulness, of our native propensity to fall into sin, so that more and more we'll learn to lean upon Jesus and to lay hold of Him with both hands rather than having confidence in ourselves. You see, there are days of testing. Days as, as, as we see here in our text, when that testing comes in waves, in, in relentless waves, not just maybe one circumstance or two circumstance or three circumstance, maybe even more. I think about the time when we lived in Florida and our kids were much littler then. And one of the things they liked to do was to go out into the ocean and stand and let the waves just hit them. And they sort of had a contest to see who could stand there and not be knocked down by the waves. Well, I'll just tell you this, more times than not, they got knocked on their backside <laughs> in the ocean, okay? They, they couldn't stand against the waves because they were, they were too strong. And there may be those times in our lives where the, the waves of the hard circumstances and the temptations and the things come our way and just hit us one after one after one. And though this is a thoroughly realistic assessment of what discipleship means, you know, too often, unfortunately, in churches, there are lies that are told. Lies like, come to Jesus and your life will be great. Come to Jesus and you'll be rich. Come to Jesus and you'll have no more worries and woes. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that for a disciple of Jesus, there are even those times where our faith will be tested because our Father loves us. It's tested that it might be proven genuine. And so because although we have been brought into union and communion with Jesus Christ and we've been made heirs in the family of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ and though the old have passed away and the new has come, still we struggle with that sin that resides within us, that remnant of the flesh so that what the good that I want to do I don't do and the evil that I don't want to do I end up doing. We find the flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another and so there are days of of testing and sometimes those days are severe and sometimes they're unrelenting 
And we are to be armed and we are to be ready and forewarned of such days as the Bible tells us that they will be here. And so how are we going to respond to that? Well, what we see in our text today is a prideful response. In, in verse 29, Peter and the other disciples are examples of a prideful response to such predictions and warnings about testing. Peter said in verse 29, Even though they all fall away, I will not. Do you see the arrogance in that? Do you? You know, not these guys. Yeah, they may fall. Me? No, I won't do that. But they, they may fall. I am much more spiritual than they are. And then Jesus says in verse 30, Truly I tell you, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, even twice, you will have already denied me three times. And Peter says in verse 31, and he doesn't just reply to Jesus. The text says he said emphatically, he put his foot down, I must, if, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And of course, they all said the same thing, right? Now, you have to understand, as you look at this, you know, we sometimes, I think, judge Peter and say, oh, dude, how arrogant of you. You know, but think where Peter has come from. You know, Peter was a disciple. He was a leader. He had found in Jesus of Nazareth everything. In answer to the problem of his sin and his guilt, he found in Jesus the one who fulfilled his life with meaning and purpose and direction. He committed his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. He left everything. Do you remember that? Peter has left everything and to follow Jesus. He had a viable fishing business in Galilee, and he left all that to follow Jesus. So, of course, he was ready to die for him. And, though, and he says, even though everybody else may deny you or abandon you or forsake you, I won't do that. Well, it's interesting that according to tradition, Peter was crucified outside the wall of the city of Rome, but he actually was crucified upside down, and that was at Peter's request because he didn't feel worthy to be identified with the crucifixion of Jesus. So we see great faith in him, but here at this point in his life, there is pride in Peter's words. He's, he's self-confident in his abilities. He's utterly unrealistic in his assessment of his weakness and the power of indwelling sin that lies even within each and every one of us that are here this morning. And in Peter's case, he not only fell away like the other disciples, like we see in verse 50, but we see here that he went so far as to deny Jesus. And not just to deny him, but three times. And notice that Peter didn't deny Jesus at some point in the future. Jesus said, look dude, this very night, it's going to happen. You're going to deny me three times. Now Matthew Henry points out that, that Peter thought he was more spiritual than the other disciples. That's why he said, even though they... May all may fall away. But, but Christ tells Peter that he will do much worse than the other disciples. That the other disciples will desert them, will desert Jesus, but Peter will both desert and deny him as well. Now, I, I want us to see several things, uh, attitudes, mistakes, whatever, that Peter makes in his reply. First of all, Peter rejects the very idea as an impossibility and bluntly contradicts the Lord. He doesn't listen to the word of the Lord. He thinks he knows better than the word than 
than God himself. And so he doesn't listen to his word. He, he evidently regarded our Lord's words as a mark of distrust of the disciples rather than a prediction and a solemn warning. We need to be careful not to fall into that trap ourselves, brothers and sisters, that we think we know so much more than God, that we think more highly of ourselves than what God uh, says and describes us to be. Second of all, Peter asserts his strength of character to be greater than that of the other disciples. In other words, as, as Romans 12 says, he thinks more highly of himself than he ought, right? And we need to be careful not to do that. Third, he trusts in his own strength and ability. Even for getting back, back in Mark chapter 6, you remember the disciples were out in the boat and the storm came and Jesus sees that they're having trouble. And so Jesus walks out on the water, right? Now, Mark's gospel doesn't say this. Luke's gospel doesn't say this. But Matthew's gospel gives us a little bit of insight here. As Jesus is walking out on the water, Peter has this conversation with Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if that's truly you, then let me get out and let me walk to you. And Jesus says, go for it. I mean, not, that's not what he said. But, you know, it's that... <laughs> Go for it. And so Peter gets out in the boat and he starts walking. But then he looks around at the waves and he begins to doubt and he begins to sink. And so Jesus reaches out his hand. If Peter had just remembered how his faith had failed him, even in that moment, it may have caused him to be more humble. And so brothers and sisters, I'm not asking you to recount your, your, your sin or to recount those times when you lacked faith in the Lord. But in those times, it does remind us that maybe we're not as great as we think we are and as strong spiritually as if we are self-sufficient apart from Jesus Christ. So we need to be realistic about our ability to withstand temptation in difficult circumstances. Peter seems to have had an overwhelming confidence in his own natural abilities to, to say that he thinks he could say no, that he would never deny Christ. But what does 1 Corinthians 10, 12 say? 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Turn there if you would with me. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Right? Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. If you think that you can stand in your own ability, you need to consider that lest you fall. And I think it's interesting that the verse that comes right after that is a verse that we all know very well. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Just reminding us that we will fall. That it's only as we look to Jesus in those times of temptation and he provides that way of escape that we will be able to stand. You see, the Corinthians were very sure of themselves. But then so were the Israelites as well. They dilly-dallied all of the time with idolatry and the, the worship of, of the gods around them and the nations around them and, and reap nothing but disaster. And so let the self-confident take heed lest they fall. 
You see, the Bible is littered with examples of Christians who have fallen. And here again, I'm not talking about leaving the faith or falling away from the faith, just stumbling in their faith. It could be the drunkenness of Noah, uh, the lying of Abraham about his wife, uh, being his wife, calling her his sister, or the adultery of David. You know, uh, we see throughout Scripture, as a matter of fact, really, every great saint just about has had that time of falling, except Joshua. But it's, I think, because he is a type of Christ that, that we don't see that. But there was always this fall. But brothers and sisters, these, all of these men are like beacons that say, if the mighty can fall, if Noah and Abraham and David and Peter can fall, and fall so tragically and so publicly, surely you and I can stumble in our faith as well. And so we must keep that in mind. It's hard to imagine a bigger and more public sin than denying Jesus three times in his hour of need. And I'm guessing Peter probably never forgot that. I don't know for certain, obviously, but I just wonder. But I just think about Luke's account of that. When, when Peter denied Jesus, uh, Jesus, from the vantage point of a, an upper room somewhere in the house of Caiaphas, when Peter denied him the third time, Luke tells us that Jesus locked eyes with Peter. That he looked at Peter and Peter saw Jesus. Could you imagine what Peter felt in that moment as he denied Jesus? But the reality is, brothers and sisters, we do know how Peter feels. How often have we denied our Lord and taken his name in vain? How often have we given in to temptation, maybe say by our actions, we're basically saying, Lord, as a Savior, you're too weak. I'm going through this temptation. And so I'm going to turn to my idol. I'm going to turn to sin to deliver me, to make me feel good, Lord, in this time when I don't feel good. Because I don't know, God, if you can do that. And so I'm going to look somewhere other than to you, God, to have my needs met. How many times have we done that? And then as we, we realize what we have done, that we have taken the name of God in vain, our hearts break. You see, in our times of weakness, we too easily fall as Peter did. But there's hope. There's hope, brothers and sisters. There's the promise of comfort. Paul Harvey, I don't know if any of you guys are so young, you know. Amen. Paul Harvey, <laughs> some of us not so much so, but you know, Paul Harvey was a famous radio personality. I, I think you guys probably have heard of him, but remember he would oftentimes give one part of the story that he was, was telling. Then they would go to a commercial break, and then he would, when he came back, he said, "And now the rest of the story," right? Well, that's what Jesus is sort of doing here. Jesus wants to make sure the disciples heard the rest of the story. Look again at verse 27 and 28. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then they went to a commercial break. Right? And then they come back and Jesus tells the rest of the story. But after I am risen, raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You see, Jesus was saying that your faith is about to be tested to the point that you will question whether I am the Messiah because you will see me die 
And Jesus recognizes that death is real, but it's not final, that he will rise up again, and so there's hope. But not only that, but he's also communicating to his disciples, not only will I rise again, so I'll meet you in Galilee, but he's saying, though you deny me, though you desert me, I will see you there. You will still be my disciples. One commentator made the point that the prediction of Jesus about the disciples falling should have been an encouragement to them what had happened. That when they saw themselves falling away from the Lord and stumbling in their faith, that they should not have lost heart, but they should have said, well, if what he predicted that came true, then surely what he promised will come true too as well. But you see, we oftentimes forget that. We see that God tells us what's going to happen in the Christian life. And when we don't do those things, we become discouraged. We forget the promises that God has given us in His Word. Because if His predictions are true, then His promises are true as well. Now, I want us to to think about something a little bit different here too about not only what's going on with the disciples, but with Jesus Christ as well. Because with the disciples, yes, they desert Jesus, but there is a sense in which Jesus is being left alone. You see, God struck the shepherd. He abandoned Jesus, His only begotten Son, to the death of the cross. And on the cross, God forsook Jesus. Jesus was completely alone as He endured the cross. No disciples, no friends, Not even his Father in heaven who loved him so much. For the first time he was completely abandoned and forsaken even by the Father. Of course, for the disciples to abandon him was a a sinful action. And it was something quite different for God the Father. God the Father was not sinning against Jesus. For God the Father to forsake Jesus, it was just the wrath of God that was being poured out. It was the righteous wrath of God upon Jesus. Not for Jesus' sin. No, He was without sin. But on the cross, He took the sins of His people. And that's why the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. When God delivered the punishment to Jesus for our sins, that included the Father forsaking Jesus. And that's part of God's wrath, His removal of His good pleasure and presence. And that's why Jesus cries out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus Christ suffered completely alone on the cross. He was stricken and afflicted all for us. All so that our sin could be atoned for. All so that people who had denied Him and abandoned Him and ran away from Him could be reunited and restored. And that's what Jesus did for His disciples, did He not? And that's what He does for each of us who belong to Him by faith. You see, the reunion which Jesus promised His disciples in verse 28 uh, is a promise really for all Christians. Jesus says that He is the Good Shepherd and that He doesn't lose His sheep. All of his sheep, all of his chosen people, he will gather up. Do you remember the words at the end of uh, Mark chapter 13? Look back at the end of Mark 13, verse 27. Jesus is prophesying about the second coming. 
and when he would come in glory. And he says this in verse 27, And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and to the ends of heaven. That Jesus will gather his elect. None will be lost. And you may be here today and your faith may be tested, is being tested. You may be discouraged and maybe even contemplating giving up. You may have even fallen. You may have stumbled in your faith this morning. And you're so ashamed of that. And you're trying to think, oh God, how can I make this up to you? Lord, okay, I'll do better next time. Brothers and sisters, your hope is not in your ability to persevere and keep from falling or to somehow restore yourself or to do better. Rather, your hope is in Him who began a good work in you, the one who will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us in Philippians 1.6. You see, this should remind us that our obedience flows out of Christ's work in our life and not out of ourselves. The disciples could not keep their promises without Jesus in their life. But after they were reunited and restored, they would never be without the shepherd again. Now you can say, now wait a minute, Pastor Rick. Kids, you might say, but Jesus ascended into heaven. He's not here today on earth. That's true, but he has sent us the promised Holy Spirit to live inside of us as his believers. So Jesus promised that he would always be with us. And and he is. Saints of God, isn't the problem that we so often have in following Christ is that we don't know ourselves. We don't know ourselves and our depravity enough. You see, Peter and the disciples thought they knew themselves. And and just a little bit before this, actually, in the Lord's Supper, uh, we see them examining their own hearts. Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And so they all kept asking, surely not I. And they were looking, you know, was it me? Am I going to do this? You know, they were examining. And then then just this short while later, we come to this moment where Jesus tells them that they're going to abandon and desert him. And and after having self-reflected on their relationship with Jesus, they all boldly say, well, nope, not me. I'm not going to leave. We'll even die if necessary. Oh, how they thought they knew themselves. But even after inward reflection... They were wrong. They didn't know their own hearts. That's why the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. We think we see ourselves so clearly. You see, they didn't know their own depravity as well as they thought. And so like Peter, they all confidently trusted in themselves. Brothers and sisters, let us follow the Good Shepherd. Because even though we may not know ourselves in our own hearts, He knows us. He truly knows us. And since He knows us better than ourselves, we can trust Him as our leader. He is a leader we can trust and follow. You know, back on March 21st, 1556, 1556, like 466 years ago, okay, Thomas Cramner, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, was martyred in Oxford, and he was burned at the stake. My wife and I actually, a number of years ago, had the privilege of seeing that spot where it was believed that that happened. And uh, before he was martyred, just 
four or five months before uh, this, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, both bishops, had already been martyred, killed for, kids, martyred means killed for your faith, okay? And, and they were burnt in Oxford. But Bishop Cranmer had been imprisoned in February 1556, and Queen Mary had already signed his death warrant and everything, but she was really seeking to halt this uh, progress of the Reformation. Uh, she was a very vicious woman. Matter of fact, she got the nickname Bloody Mary, you know, over that because she killed so many people uh, to stop the Reformation. And she had men come to Cranmer every day to see if he would sign uh, a document recanting his faith and, and, and with the sort of the impression that he would be pardoned if he would. Well, finally, on March 19th, about five weeks after he was put in prison and uh, suffered in this lonely cell in Oxford, with his right hand, he signed that document recanting his faith. And then like Peter, he immediately broke down and he wept. Well, two days later, rather than being set free, he was burned at the stake. But what's important is what happened when he was. J.C. Ryle uh, gives an account of his death taken from observers of the scene in the 16th century, and this is how he describes it. Then he was bound to the stake with a steel band around his waist, and the fire was kindled at his feet. The fire leapt up, but he stretched out his arm and held his right hand in the flame. And there he held it without flinching, except that once it was withdrawn to wipe his face. But he held it there until it had burnt to a stump. While he cried out the while, this hand hath offended. You see, it was the hand that he had signed where he had recanted his faith and he was repenting of that by holding his hand in the flame. I see God uses the Cramners and the Peters of this world who have instinctive native weaknesses who in moments of temptation and crisis fall away to their weakness. But the difference between such people and Judas is Peter repented. Judas did not. He betrayed Jesus and, and never repented. But Peter repented. Peter breaks down with tears of repentance and seeks the pardon and mercy and forgiveness of his Savior. And the most beautiful thing about this is Jesus forgives his sins. And not only that, but Jesus sends him forth to go and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the Peter who on the day of Pentecost, just six weeks from this point in time, preaches this amazing sermon and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is the Peter who was crucified upside down according to tradition for the sake of the Lord. You see, spiritual growth comes often and fits and starts for, for most of us. We might know a few people in our life that they're sort of like these shining stars that just sort of spurt ahead and 
never falter and but that's not the experience of most people I think most of us are more like Peter where we have had our days when we have fallen we have fallen into sin and maybe for some have fallen into serious sin but God is a God of grace and he is a God of mercy and he is a God of compassion and he hears the cries of the repentant and sees the tears of those who are contrite of heart and forgives and he sends them out again this is a story brothers and sisters as much about the discipleship of Peter as it is about the grace of God and the gospel and what a marvelous grace it is amen a marvelous grace to those of us today who know all too easily how easy it is to fall Let's bow our heads in prayer and silently respond to the Lord as we have heard His Word this morning. this morning and just give thanks to you that you hold us fast God we so easily fall we oftentimes think too highly of ourselves and I pray this morning God that you would encourage your people that if they turn to you and they trust in you that it's only as we rest in you and that you will hold us fast oh God it's not in our own abilities but it's what you do in us but Lord I pray as well this morning for those that do not know you but maybe this morning as they hear the words that I have spoken that your spirit is working in their hearts and they're seeing their sin and how they have turned away from you and they want such love and forgiveness and mercy as you give and I just pray, Lord, that they would repent of their sins and give their life to you as you demand it from them as their God and their Creator and their Savior. We just thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen.